well, I get to say welcome and good morning again on this beautiful summer morning. I was thinking this week about the different ways that uh, people answer phone calls. There's so many different views and opinions about how to do this. Some of them might be different based on all kinds of things, based on someone's upbringing, their age, their knowledge, their location. And what I mean is that our background and upbringing give us ideas about things like what's proper or not. Uh, Kids might answer the phone differently than adults. People might answer the phone differently if they know who's calling or not. Um, If it's a work phone, if they're in a public place, right? So when I was little, I was taught to answer the phone something like this. My last name is Duchin, if you don't know that. So I'd say, hello, Duchin residence. This is Adam speaking. Something like that. Um, But definitely not, yo, what's up? (laughs) Right? My mom would have not stood for that whatsoever in our house. But if I'm in the office and I pick up the phone, even here, I might say something like, uh, you know, good morning, this is Nova Community Church. Uh, In other words, I'll have a greeting, and then I'll identify the place of business. And uh, if you see that it's your spouse calling, you might answer the phone in in a much less formal way. You might have your own personal greeting or something like that between you and your significant other. It might just be, you know, hi, honey, just something completely different. And on a side note, of course, that's when you see who's calling because I do remember things before something called caller ID. Um, And so when you had to pick up the phone and you didn't know who was going to be there or calling. But there's so many different ways to answer a call. And honestly, one is not necessarily better than the other. They're just different based on all of those different things in that context. And we're in a series called Here I Am, and we're looking at different people throughout the Bible who answered with the phrase, here I am. And even though each of these different people used that phrase or a similar phrase, there's differences in their use of the phrase and how they used it. And one of those came up last week in the story of Mary answering the call of God. And Pastor Dean pointed out that she may not have used those exact three words. She may have used different words. But in essence, she was saying, here I am. And her differently worded answer was profound and filled with depth. And today we come to another person in our series whose answer begins with the phrase, here I am, as we'll see. But as the story unfolds, we're going to see a new and a different depth that comes from his answer. Our character for today's story is Samuel. And our text is going to be 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And you can turn there in your Bibles or on your devices, or you can find the passage included on the sermon notes. I've included it there, all 10 verses. Those can be found on our website or through the Nova Community Church app. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And I'll read that for us right now. Beginning in verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. 
But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And my son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is God's word for us today. And whether it's a familiar story for you from the Bible or it's not familiar, I think it's helpful to set the stage and, and understand the main characters. So in the first two chapters of this book of 1 Samuel, we learn about Hannah. And the story tells us that she is devoted to God, but she's not able to have children. And she prays and prays for God to give her a child. And when God blesses her with a son, she dedicates him to God's service and brings him to the temple for him to serve God for his entire life. That child is Samuel. We're also introduced in those first couple of chapters to Eli, who is the high priest over Israel. And we'll learn later in the story that he was also the judge over Israel for, over, for about 40 years, I should say. And in our passage here in chapter 3, we learn some really interesting details about what's going on here. Eli is lying down in his usual place, it tells us in verse 2. Samuel is lying down in the house of God, it says, where the ark of the Lord is in verse 3. We also learn that Eli is older, and later in chapter 4, we didn't read that, but we're going to find out that he was 98 years old when he died. The fact that Eli is old, it's important here. He's the spiritual leader in this story and for this time period for Israel. Yet he was not the person still carrying out the priestly duties. You see, at this time in ancient Israel, the priests stopped carrying out their duties or going into the tabernacle of God at age 50, where they would set aside those duties and then help other ones, other priests who were younger, uh, to come up and learn and do those things. And we read about that in Numbers chapter 8, if you want to look that up or check that out. And here in our story, Eli also has a, two sons, and they were also priests, but they were not good ones. That's a story for another time and for later in the book of Samuel. And I don't want to get sidetracked from our main characters and what's going on here. But that's a, a brief introduction to the characters at play here. And so back to Samuel. Why is Samuel in the house of God? One of the priestly responsibilities was to keep the lamp of God lit until morning. The text even mentions that and talks about that. The lamp was not to go out. And so a priest was in there keeping that lit during the night until daylight. Eli, because of his age, was no longer allowed into that part of the house of God. Eli's sons were not fulfilling their responsibilities well. And so Samuel is here fulfilling the role of priest. It's in this setting that God comes and calls Samuel. And by the way, this is the other main character in our story, God. Anytime God's involved in the text, 
He's actually the main character in the story. So in this setting, God calls to Samuel. And Samuel's immediate reply in verse 5 is, here I am. But he doesn't know it's God calling. He thinks it's Eli. He doesn't know it's God speaking to him. Because in his time, the word of God was rare. It was a rare thing, and our text even says that. If we remember our Bible stories, God has spoken audibly with people, an actual voice that people heard, to Moses, to Joshua. But his word became rare over the next few hundred years, and especially during the 300 years of the time of the judges. And so at this point in the story, in the text, you might expect an audible message to come from God to Eli, the priest, right? The high priest but not really expected for that to come to Samuel. And so why this, and why now, and what's going on? In verse 3 is interesting. It says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And at one level, this is just giving the time of day, right? It's not morning yet. The lamp was still lit. But we also have the imagery of what's going on in the Bible here. And it's a little more metaphorical, I guess I would say. The light might be dim. It's just a lamp. It's probably not like spotlights that we have up here. It's just a lamp. And so the light might be dim, but it's not yet extinguished. It hasn't gone out. And I hope you see the imagery there because the imagery is of just that. It's of hope. The light might be dim, but it has not gone out. It has not been extinguished. God's word has been rare, and the light it brings may seem like it's fading. I'm sure that's probably how people in that time felt. We haven't heard a word from the Lord in a long time. Perhaps that's how we feel about our society today. We don't hear the word of the Lord going out and about in our society. But the message of 1 Samuel chapter 3 tells us, first and foremost, that the word of God comes. It's in this scene Samuel finds himself actually in God's presence And he receives a reminder of God's covenant through his word. And there is this back and forth as Samuel hears God calling him, but he continues to not recognize that it's God. Two more times he goes back and forth because he thinks it's Eli. But Eli finally figures this out, and he tells Samuel what to do. And the next time that God speaks, we're actually told it's more than just a voice. It says that God appears there to Samuel. And this time, God repeats Samuel's name. He says it twice, Samuel, Samuel. And this echoes God's call to Moses from the burning bush. This is God's call to Samuel to be his prophet. And so this young Samuel, who's in that place at that time, already fulfilling the duties of priest, now gets a call from God to be something else and something more in God's prophet. And I was reading over the last couple weeks, and I love how one pastor and commentator wrote, it's a short paragraph I'm going to read, but about this portion of 1 Samuel. And he, he writes this, Israel was in desperate crisis. There was no rule, and the house of God was horribly compromised. What did God do? He sent his word. He raised up a prophet. This is always how God acts to change the status quo. He sends his word. In the beginning, God created the universe through his word. He spoke to the darkness and there was light. 
He brought order from chaos and fullness from emptiness through his word. He created life through his word and ruled his people through his word. And he continues to rule history through his word. He still brings light through his word. He still brings life through his word. Just as he created through his word, so he recreates through his word. The word of God comes. And not only does the word of God come, it comes today. And the Bible tells us that this God whom we serve and worship does not change. No variation, no shifting shadows. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this, if it's the way God works, it's still the way God works today. He speaks today. Psalm 19 tells us that God's word refreshes the soul, makes us wise, restores joy to our hearts, gives light to our eyes. This is God's word. And so what do we need more of? I would say God's word. And we need confidence in God's word. We need to be reading the Bible. We need to be engaging with the preaching of our church and others. We need to be speaking the word to one another We need to be reminding our own hearts of his word. And in the crisis of your life, you need God's word. And in the crises in our culture, we need God's word. Because our hope doesn't come through legislation that we think is going to defend Christianity. Our hope's not going to come through gimmicky methods or trendy services. Our hope doesn't come through Hollywood, because we're not going to compete with Hollywood for even entertainment. Our hope is in the power of God's word. I remembered a quote, and I don't honestly remember who it was from, but I remember this this week. It's been said that without the word of God, the people of God perish. This passage in 1 Samuel chapter 3 testifies that God really, physically, actually speaks and can really be heard. And the remainder of Samuel's life that we're not getting into today, it's a story of a man listening to God. But this same God speaks today. And just because we may not hear him in an audible way or speaking right at this moment doesn't necessarily mean that there is no God or that God doesn't speak. Because he is the same God today that he was then. And he will continue to be the same God always. So for the rest of our time today, we're going to take a look at a couple of things. First, some of the different ways that God speaks to his people and also some of the barriers to hearing God's voice. One of the ways that God speaks to his people and the first in your notes is through his voice or I'll say the spirit of God. God audibly spoke to Samuel and to others as been mentioned. When Jesus came and lived on this earth, he audibly spoke to and taught those around him and his disciples. And when he left, he told his followers that the Spirit of God would come and would teach them and guide them. In John chapter 14, verse 26, we read, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus' own words. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God has been doing ever since. Guiding, teaching, speaking into our world. Another way God speaks is through his word, the scriptures. 
Scripture, I would say, is God's primary way of communicating to us. It helps us to understand and to confirm God's voice. Uh, Psalm 119, if you're familiar with it, it, almost the entire psalm is largely devoted to being a psalm about God's word. And in verse 105, we read this. It might be a very familiar verse for you. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. I remember learning two things about this verse years ago. First, and they're very practical, but a lamp for my feet means that right here where I'm standing is illuminated. It's not in darkness. I can see what's right here. Second, a light on my path means that where I'm walking, the direction I'm headed, the path that I'm on, is also illuminated, not in darkness. And this psalm says that how those two things happen is through God's word. It's his word that is a lamp to your feet. It's his word that is a light to your path. Very important to remember. Side note, a third thing I learned about that. It it doesn't say that he illuminates my destination and everything I'm going to have to go to between A and Z. Because, quite frankly, if I knew everything I'm going to have to go to between here and there, I may decide to step off the path. (laughs) Because maybe I don't want to go through that. But my feet and my path are not in darkness. And that's through God's word. A third way that God speaks is through his people, through the church. Did you know that God speaks through his people? In Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17, we read this. Let the message of Christ, Christ excuse me, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Teaching one another, it says, with wisdom. It says, in word and in deed. The word is there. And this is amazing. God gives his people, us, you and me, the privilege of speaking his word to one another and to others. And not that we have some new insight about God or the church or the world. That's not what it means. Not that what we say is scripture or on par with scripture but that we teach and encourage one another in life through God's word. God also speaks through his world, through creation. We read in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Again, Romans verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, tells us very clearly, very plainly, that God speaks through creation and through the created world. And so God speaks through his voice, through his word, through his people, through his world. And there's another way that God speaks. He also speaks through his son, through Jesus. I love how the book of Hebrews begins, chapter 1 verses 1 through the first part of verse 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, 
and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He speaks through his son. And in the past, he spoke through prophets like Samuel and others. And now he speaks through Jesus. And God speaks in so many ways. But I think we'd all agree and admit that sometimes it's hard to hear his voice. And so this leaves us with an interesting question. Why? Why is it difficult to hear God's voice? I think that's because there's some barriers to hearing God's voice. And this may not be all of them, but I'm going to highlight some of them that I thought about in the last couple of weeks. One barrier to hearing God's voice can be, I'll say can be, inexperience. In our story, it's made pretty clear that Samuel had no experience hearing God's voice. The text says that, and Samuel didn't even know it was God speaking until Eli helped him. And so those who are older and more mature in your faith need to help those who are younger and less mature in their faith. And those who are younger and less mature in our faith need to recognize the need and the fact that we need help from somebody who's older and more mature in the faith. There's two sides to that, and that works together. So inexperience with the Lord can be a barrier from recognizing the voice of God. Another barrier can be expectation. And here's what I mean by this. God does speak. We've established that already, and we have his word. But do you live with the expectation that God is speaking to you? That's a good question. In our story, once Samuel understood who was speaking, God, he turned up his expectation. <laughs> and he tuned in, maybe you'd say, in our, in our modern language. Tuned in directly to the voice of God. Expectation positions us into a place to hear God in our everyday life. And Samuel began to put into practice what he said at the end of our passage. Speak, for your servant is listening. A third barrier to hearing God's voice is sin. And God still speaks, but God's people can't hear because of their brokenness and their sin. And I think in a, in a general way, we would probably all agree that that's a barrier. Sin is a barrier between me and God. But I also love this insight as I was thinking this through from one past, past, pastor sorry, and commentator. I tried to put those two words together. It doesn't work. Pastor and commentator. And he writes this, and I think it's a very a very good insight. He says, what is worse, God's voice may be heard, but it sounds terrible and frightening rather than the voice of a loving father, a heavenly king who cares for his people. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? When they sinned, God's voice became a source of anxiety and fear rather than hope and companionship. Sin either stops our ears from God's voice or makes God's voice terrifying rather than comforting. I think that's an amazing insight. And it was so true of Adam and Eve in the garden in that story. They heard the voice of God after they sinned, and what did they do? They ran and hid. <laughs> it, it became a frightening thing. And so sin causes us to fear God's voice rather than love God's voice. 
That's an interesting way, I think, that sin is a barrier to hearing God's voice. One more barrier to hearing God's voice is simply unwillingness. In life in general, if I am unwilling to hear what someone has to say, then they can't help me because I won't let them. And this is the same with God, especially if someone is unwilling to be open to his voice and hear what he has to say. Just a simple, flat-out unwillingness. And it might come from a lot of different things, selfishness, a fear of having to change something, or just simple, flat-out rebellion. Just a flat-out, no, don't want to hear it, don't want to do it. But you should know, if you don't already, that unwillingness to hear and listen to the voice of God ends in disaster. So there's a variety of ways that God speaks to his people, and there's barriers to hearing God's voice. But we know that God speaks, and we know that he speaks today. And so the real practical question becomes this. How do you approach God? How do you approach God? Many of us, I think, come to God more like talkers with a more demanding attitude. And it doesn't sound like Samuel. It sounds like, listen, Lord, because I'm your servant and I'm speaking. (laughs) That's a lot of times how we come to God. We want him to listen because we're speaking. But how we approach God is extremely important, especially if we want to hear his voice. I think Samuel's approach is a much better one. As soon as he knew it was God speaking, everything changed. He kicked it up a notch, you might say. It moved beyond a simple, here I am. And if we really want to know what's on God's heart, we need to come to him like that, as attentive and expectant listeners. And I think the advice from Eli and Samuel's words to God are extremely telling. It's only four words. Your servant is listening. There's some remarkable things here in this statement. Your servant is listening. First, it begins with the word your. This places, I think, the proper emphasis in the proper place. And we want to do that. You don't want to put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. The proper emphasis in the right place. It's a silly joke. But the your means it's not me. It's someone outside of me. Because it's not about me. In this case, it's God. Your. The next word is servant. I'm not the one this is about. I'm here for a particular reason. But that's to be attentive to the needs of someone other than me and to serve those needs. And I'll say that again. It's, it's to be attentive to the needs of someone other than me and serve those needs. That's what a servant is. And in this case, it's serving God. The next word is the word is. Small little word. But it's in the present tense. It's a current thing. It's not was in the past tense. It's not will be in the future tense. It's also not an attitude of, yeah, I heard you. And it's not, I know. Those are different attitudes. But it's is. Here, now, present. And the last word is listening. 
to give attention, to heed. These are the definitions when you look it up. I think it really means to get myself to the place where I understand and can obey. That's what listening means. Often that's a lot of times what we mean, right? Have you ever, you ever thought this or said this? Ah, they're not listening to me, <laughs> right? It's not just that they don't hear me. It's that they haven't gotten to a place where they've really heard, understood, and moved to do it. Your servant is listening. You, God, are first and most important. I am here to serve you. I know my role. I know my place. I am here, now, present, in this moment. I'm expecting that you have something to say. And I'm ready and willing to hear it and obey it. That's the Pastor Adam paraphrase of your servant is listening. It's wordy, I know. I get that way sometimes. <laughs> but your servant is listening. And I'm going to close our time in prayer in just a moment. But before I do that, I'm going to leave you with this question. A thought and a question. Your servant is listening. How will you approach God to hear his voice? I'm going to leave it right there. How will you approach God to hear his voice?